Well, I have, I have the great privilege this morning of uh, introducing um, a friend of ours, a friend who's gonna, who I pray is going to be a friend of the house for many years to come. In uh, 1995, I was a freshman at ORU, and the spring semester of my first year, God called me to go to Indonesia for two months. That marked my life, and it changed my life. It changed the entire trajectory. It changed the entire course of my life. Number one, uh, it gave me God's global heart. God inserted and he imparted the seeds of his passion for the world into my heart. Number two, it afforded me the opportunity to go to a number of places around the world and to bring that cup of cold water and that living water and also to see God's people Uh, in many various countries around the world. There's nothing like worshiping Jesus with the many faces of people, of his people around the world. But number three, what it did is it afforded me the opportunity to surround my life and to be connected with men and with women whose heart beat with God's heart for the nations of the world. And one of those men is a man by the name of Keith Wheeler. Keith Wheeler carries the cross. He carries a literal physical cross uh, into countries wherever God tells him to go. He's gone to over 200 countries around the world. He has, uh, he has gone to war-torn countries. He has gone to countries decimated and devastated by natural disasters. He has literally stood in firing squads and God has delivered him from executioners in firing squads in South America. But of all those things, and there's many, many stories and there's many, many testimonies to tell, knowing Keith, I know that he would want me to introduce him this way. He is a man who loves Jesus with all of his heart. And he is a man who carries a part of God's heart that I have met very, very few men who know Jesus in this way. In fact, for many years, now I've lost touch with Keith for about eight years. He helps us to train our ORU missionaries and he's been investing into that program for over 20 years. As a student, as a 17-year-old student, I was able to sit under Keith's teaching and under his ministry of impartation for a solid eight years. And this is how I described Keith Wheeler to those who didn't know him. I said, Keith is the closest man that I have ever met. It resembles Jesus. And that's how I would describe him. I say that not to flatter him. I say that to say that when I was around him, my heart began to burn to know Jesus in a way that I've, never, that I've never experienced with, with few others. And so uh, Antioch, this is a great, great gift for us. It really is. When uh, the Lord dropped into my heart that we're gonna do a series on the heritage of compassion, I began asking the Lord, God, who, who can help us towards this end? Who can impart your heart of compassion into this house? And immediately the name Keith Wheeler came to mind. And so God has sovereignly uh, orchestrated our schedules uh, to help bring them in. So with that being said, would you help me welcome my friend Keith Willard to Antioch Church this morning? Good morning. What a what a very uh, incredible honor and, and privilege to be able to be together with you. Um, Merry Christmas. Anytime that you have an opportunity to come someplace, you, you realize what a 
really, to me, it, it, it's, it's not just um, that you go someplace and speak, because it's, it's the trust. It's the trust of the leadership, and it's the trust of your time, and, and it's the trust of, of God who, who said, okay, you can do this. And yet my prayer whenever I come is, is that you won't hear me, that you'll hear him. I really, as, as he said, I, I love Jesus. And I don't just love him. I'm in love with Jesus. And maybe just to kind of give a, a little bit of introduction. Um, I'm from, a, I live in Oklahoma, but I grew up in Arkansas. I'm a real hillbilly. Mountain Dew was invented in my hometown. And, and that's not an exaggeration. I can sing, I won't, but I can sing the original Mountain Dew song. In fact, Mountain Dew was not called Mountain Dew originally. It was called Kickapoo Joy Juice. Uh, the, the name didn't market very well. Go figure. Uh, not far from where I grew up was, was a town called Deer. The name of their team was very original. It was called the Antlers. Um, I used to take my dates to a place called Booger Holler. I'm, I'm not making this up. I've, I've preached in a town called Lizard Lick and another town called Toad Suck. So I, I was a real hillbilly. In fact, my mama was on four episodes of the Beverly Hillbillies. But I was a, a hippie as well because I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. My mom and daddy were hippies, so that's just what we were. So I don't know if I'm a hippie hillbilly or a hillbilly hippie. But I was one of those. Uh, we, we did go to church regularly, every Christmas and every Easter. And it was never the same church. We went to a lot of different churches. Uh, so when it was time to say yes to Jesus, when I was 12 years old, and I understood that I don't want to go to hell. And, and let, let me just say that was never a very difficult decision. Uh, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Uh, I didn't have to think about it very long. So I said yes to Jesus. And I said yes over and over again. I didn't know how many times it took. And I'm, I'm one of those guys who've just always done whatever I've done with all my heart. But where do you start going to church when you're growing up going to lots of different churches? Uh, again, it, it became a pretty easy decision because the, the prettiest girl that I knew, she went to the Catholic church. So I met the priest, I signed up for the classes, and I was baptized and had my first mass. But I wasn't sure if they were right, so I knew another uh, girl, and she went to the Episcopal church. <laughs> and I met that priest and signed up for those classes and was baptized in the Episcopal church. Um, it wasn't a girl, but my best buddy went to the Presbyterian church, and I wasn't sure if they didn't know more than the other guys, so I signed up for the classes there and was baptized in the Presbyterian church, and I, I did the same with the Lutheran church. Uh, those are just the ones you had to do classes in, but I was also baptized in the United Methodist. I was baptized in the Disciples of Christ, Evangelical Free, American Baptist, Missionary Baptist, eight times in the Southern Baptist, <laughs> and once in, the, uh, once in the Assemblies of God. So um, 
I've, I've got your theology covered. It doesn't matter if you're splashers or sprinklers or dunkers or holder-unders. Uh, I, I did them all. And, um, and I, uh, I, I tried to do all the other stuff that you're supposed to. They said, read your Bible. I said, how much? And they said, every year from Genesis to Revelation. And I did it. And I've, I continue to do that. It was a wonderful practice. Um, one year I made it through three times in a year. Um, another time, uh, somebody said, well, you have to pray. I said, how long? They said, an hour a day. Well, my mom made us do transcendental meditation growing up when we were hippies. And I was kept in my room saying a, a mantra for an hour. Well, praying, at least you're talking to somebody and you're getting to say more words than just ing. Uh, so, so that wasn't too bad either. And they said, and don't smoke. And I just never thought the idea of putting fire in my mouth was a very good one. Don't drink. Um, so to this day, I've never been drunk a day in my life. I've never smoked anything. I was a straight-A student, all-American athlete. Girls could trust me, but I had a problem. And, and that problem was, we have a saying in the hills. It says, just because there's paint on the outside of the barn doesn't mean there's not manure on the inside. And that was my life. I was the prettiest Christian barn, I think, that you could ever see. But inside, there was things that nobody else could see. I, I wasn't a thief, but whenever I would go to friends' homes that had bigger homes, I wished I had the things that they had. Uh, I wasn't a murderer, but there were a lot of people that I sure wished were dead. There was a stinky smell coming out of my life. I, I was saved because I wanted to go to heaven. I loved Jesus because it was right. I loved Jesus because he was going to help me go to heaven. I loved him because he was going to help me be a better man. I loved him because I was an athlete and I was training for the Olympics and I knew he would help me win a gold medal and set a world record. I loved him, but it was all about me. I wanted him to help me. But one night on a, on a beach in, in Florida, I really met Jesus. And I fell in love with Jesus. And I mean, I just, I really fell in love. I, I saw that he is worthy of my best or nothing at all. I saw in, in, that, in that night that it wasn't the hand of the Roman soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross. And it wasn't the decision of the Jewish lawyers and judges. But he died because of sin. And I was a sinner. I crucified Jesus. And yet from the cross, he said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And then he said, it's finished, or literally it's paid in full. And I fell on my knees in, on that beach in Florida, and I said, you're worthy. And it was, it was out of that that I said, I'll, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. And later he called me on that. I, I'm not a very outgoing person. I'm, I'm not a real bold person. In fact, I'm probably the most timid, fearful, insecure, shy, not wanting to stand out in a crowd person that you've ever met. And he called me to take a 12-foot wooden cross and start walking through the streets of Tulsa on Good Friday in 1985. And I thought that is the dumbest idea I ever had. Surely it was, it was 
you know, too much pizza and fruity pebbles mixed together late at night. Maybe, maybe it wasn't enough fresh air. Maybe it was the devil. And, uh, but three times it was like fire in my heart. I want you to make a 12-foot wooden cross and begin walking through the streets of Tulsa on Good Friday. And I said, Lord, you've got other people. I've seen guys with crosses. There was a guy at, at Walmart, and he had a, a beard and a, a pretend crown of thorns, and he had logos sprayed on his, on his van, and he had a bullhorn and a cross. And as people walked by, he'd yell at them with his bullhorn, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm thinking that's what I'm going to have to do carrying a cross. And um, so I just said, Lord, you've, you've got some other guys doing it. You don't need me. And I felt like God said, son, that's the most religious excuse you could ever give me. If I called you to preach, you wouldn't say, Lord, you've got Billy Graham. You've got pastors. You would be honored. And I felt like he said to my heart, anyone can carry a cross. Simon carried my cross. Anyone can die on a cross. Two thieves died beside me. But only one could die for the sins of the world. And I felt like he said, son, I did it for love. And I want you to go identify my message of love in the highways and the roadsides of this world. I said, Lord, that sounds like you, but could you give me a sign? Five minutes later, and I hadn't told anybody, not a friend, not a family member, the telephone rang, and a friend said, Keith, this may sound strange to you, but I feel like God wants you and I to make a 12-foot wooden cross and start walking through the streets of Tulsa on Good Friday. And I said, God, that was pretty good, but could you give me one more sign? So I, I can tell you for sure that I'm not a man of great faith standing in front of you. I'm a man of God's grace and mercy. It is a miracle that I'm alive. As Pastor Jade said, I've, I've walked a lot of countries. There have been many challenges. I've been run over by cars four times. I've been stoned with rocks three times. I've been beaten and left for dead twice. I've been taken before a firing squad and they counted to two, put the clips in and they fell backwards and said the light was too bright. I've been shot at. I've been in jail more than 40 times. My cross more than 50 times. I've been chased by animals. I've been chased by rhinos and elephants, a hippopotamus, a crocodile almost bit me. Did you know they can jump? Uh, I didn't. Um, I, I've been bitten by, I've been bitten by everything that ends in at that I know of. Cats, bats, rats, and a wombat. I've, I've been bitten by dogs. I've been bitten by a horse and a donkey and a camel. A monkey bit me on my neck. I can't tell you where a baboon bit me. I've been bitten by a poisonous snake on my hand. Uh, I've been bitten by a poisonous spider in the jungles in the Amazon. And uh, a poisonous scorpion nearly killed me. And by the grace and the mercy of God, I'm, I'm here. And I'm more in love with Jesus than ever before because he is worthy. And as I, as I read in, in the Bible, uh, I, I read that Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so 
I don't know what that looks like. But I, I do know that for the first years of my life, I was a good Christian. But I wasn't following Jesus. The Bible tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. And I loved him, but it was a selfish love. I knew a lot about him. I read Chuck Swindoll books and Josh McDowell books and Tim Keller books. and I read my Bible, so I knew facts. And, and I, I, was, I was saved, but I didn't know him. And so as I come this morning, as we're talking about compassion, I, I really want to frame it. There's, there's two questions that I frame my life by. And really, it's the same question, just inverted, flip-flopped. The first question is, do I know the Jesus I claim to follow? And I have to ask myself that in, in every way as I, as I walk through my life. Do I know the Jesus I claim to follow? And, and the second question is, is just the opposite of that. Am I following the Jesus I claim to know? So as, as, we, as we come this morning, I, I just I was praying about it when he said compassion. I just want to read three verses, and I, I want to address those questions. In Matthew chapter 1, it's a great Christmas verse, and it's quoting Isaiah in chapter 7. But in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's what Isaiah says, but Matthew adds on, which translated means God is with us. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us these words. He tells us to have the same attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or, or held on to. But he emptied himself and he took the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of a man and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then in John chapter one, in verse 14, John tells us, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. God is with us and we would all say amen. We would all acknowledge he's here. But do we really believe he's here? If, if he were standing here right now, what would our reaction be? I... I know for sure I, I believe he's here, but do I know he's here? Because if I saw him standing here, I couldn't stand. As, as Jade read the scripture today, they saw him on his throne, like, like something glowing, metal glowing and fire down below, and, and they couldn't stand. They fell. So is, is he here? Well, yes, he's here, but I don't know about you. 
I've prayed to see him lots of times. Have you guys ever prayed? I remember carrying the cross in Spain. I'd been walking for a long time and I got to the end of my walk. I maybe only had another two or day, day or two walk to finish. But I had some extra time, so I thought, I'm going to pray that I can see the glory of God. Moses' prayer, show us your glory. We sing about that many times. Lord, show us your glory. We want to see your glory. But we forget sometimes, Moses prayed before he prayed those words, I want to know your ways so that I might know you. Do you know seeing him and recognizing him begins with us knowing him? Do we know the Jesus we claim to be following? And, and so I locked myself up in this. It was like a little castle. It was a hotel by the sea, but you couldn't see the sea because the weather was so bad. It was cold, it was cloudy. You could just hear it. You could hear the waves crashing down below. And every day I, I would read scriptures and I would pray. Scriptures on the glory of God, the presence of God, the beauty of God. And, and I would just, at night I would pray and stay up many nights, almost all night. I, would, I was fasting during this time. Jesus, I want to see your glory. I had prayed for 20 some years. Lord, I want to know your ways so that I might know you. But now, Lord, show me your glory. So I don't know what I was expecting, lightning, fireworks, a cloud that hovered over my bed. On that last night, I just knew because it, I hadn't seen it yet. I'm going to see the glory of God. All night long, I prayed. Finally, I fell asleep. When I woke up, nothing had changed. No clouds, no fireworks, no lightning bolts, no peals of thunder, not one angel. The only thing that was different was the clouds outside had lifted. It was beautiful. I've never been to Narnia, but if Narnia was real, I was in Narnia because the ocean was the bluest of blue that you could see. It was like a, a bay. And on the other side, the greenest of green grass that you could see. And, and beyond that were mountains that made even yours look tiny. Snow capped on the top. It was beautiful. And I felt in my heart that God said, the whole earth is full of my glory. Open your eyes and behold my beauty. Open your eyes and behold my glory. And so then I, okay, that's, that's awesome, but I was kind of looking for a cloud. You know, I was, I was looking for some pyrotechnics or something. And I go out and pick up my cross. It's time for me to start walking. And, and there was just a bent over, haggard, wrinkled up, little bitty old lady. She didn't come up above my shoulder. She was about this tall and bent over. She just had to shuffle and tears were just running down her face. She had flowers, putting them on my cross one by one. And she took my hand saying in Spanish, Jesus brought you to me. And as I looked in her eyes, I felt like Jesus said from Psalm chapter eight, I have crowned her with my glory. 
You are beholding my glory if only you will open your eyes and see. Do we know him and his ways? Because if we don't, we're going to miss him in our world. Last night as I'm flying in, I'm sitting on the aisle seat and across me there's, there's a girl, 26-year-old princess named Julie. Julie's story though was when she was born, she had a tumor on her brain and it affected her development. Julie weighs probably all of 80 pounds. She has no control over her movements. She can't speak. She can't hear. Her mama signs to her in sign language. And as I'm sitting there next to her and watching she and her mom interact, tears just started running down my face because I said, Jesus, that's you. You're hiding. See, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it to me. And, and you know, you can interact, but she, she doesn't hear. So I, I can smile. But I, I just, I wanted something more. And, and I was, to tell you the truth, I was hoping for a kiss. That, that was what I desired. But when we, we, I waited to help, you know, if they needed anything getting off, and her mom looked at me and she said, would you carry my girl? And I felt like I was carrying Jesus. My friends, it's, it's so easy to try to work up a feeling and say, this is compassion. It starts with us knowing his ways. See, for me, ministry has simply been the overflow of a life lived in love with Jesus. The disciples said it this way in Acts chapter four. They said, whether it's right in your eyes or not, to stop speaking about Jesus. We can't, we can't shut up. We can't stop speaking what we've seen and what we've heard. See, I don't have a ministry. Jesus does. You don't have a ministry. He does. I'm not anointed. Jesus is the anointed one. His last name is Christ. Jesus Christ, which means the anointed one. As I abide in him, his anointing abides upon my life. It's not about, I've never led one person to Jesus. He has. He is the author and the finisher of our salvation. He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. My friends, it's about us opening up our lives. So how does all this happen in a very practical way? Well, we start out by seeing him, asking him, I, I just wanna know you. And, and when you ask him that, can, can I just tell you, it's, it's not about knowing facts. It's before you go to sleep at night, you just say, Jesus, I know you've got billions on the other side of the world and they're probably all talking to you. But if nobody wants to listen to you, would you wake me up? I'll listen to you. See, he has many lovers of his heaven, but he has very few lovers of his cross. It's, it's one thing to be a Christian. It's another just to follow him. One of my greatest, most favorite verses in all the Bible, and I would sign my name to it if people would understand it. 
but it takes a little deciphering. It's, it's John chapter 13, verse 23. And it says, there was leaning on Jesus' chest the disciple that Jesus loved. Pastor Jade's busy there, so Todd, could you come up here for just a minute? And he's, he's enough like Jesus will, he'll do. Um, so if you could imagine, this is Jesus and I'm John at that last supper. And we're sitting on the floor and John is leaning his head on Jesus' chest. But I'm hearing something that none of you can hear. I'm hearing his heartbeat. Thanks, man. It starts with drawing close enough to him that you can hear his heartbeat. And that is the question this morning. Have you heard his heartbeat? I don't think his heart goes boom, 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 boom. I think I've heard it. And I think his heart goes people, 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 people. And his heart is breaking. One day, he will wipe away every tear from my eyes and your eyes. But where is the one today who will wipe away the tears from his eyes? Where is the one today who knows that he sheds tears as he intercedes at the right hand of the Father? Where is the one that says, Jesus, what makes you happy? What makes you sad? See, compassion starts with seeing Jesus as he is. It is us looking at him. It is us beholding him. As the writer of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. If you ask me what is my vision, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do for the Lord. That's what I'm going to do for the Lord. My vision is Jesus Jesus said his vision was the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only speak what I hear my Father speaking. And so it's, it's us getting our eyes on him. And then ministry begins to overflow out of that. So just to, to rush on, the next thought on, on that. Is, so we see Jesus. Do we know him, the one we claim to be following? But then how do we follow the one we claim to know? Well, that starts with when you see him, you begin to see people like he sees people. How do we develop this lifestyle of compassion? It starts with seeing have you ever noticed how difficult it is really to see people in our world today? That little old lady, I, I would never have seen Jesus. She's wrinkled up. There's nothing attractive in her except this beauty that's shining from her eyes that unless I would have slowed down, I wouldn't have seen. Here's a young lady flailing and flopping next to me. In, in many people's eyes, she's creating a disturbance on the plane. She, she can't control her, her vocal utterances. And yet that's, as in, in, if we know him, the Bible says from, from these, he's perfected praise. That is praise to Jesus' ears. Are, are we slowing down enough to, to see like he sees? Probably the, the best 
picture is, is as we look at Jesus, he saw, he noticed. He noticed a little man in a, in a sycamore tree. And isn't it awesome that it says it was a sycamore tree? And somehow he knew his name. I know everyone probably here thinks it's a word of knowledge. I think Jesus was observant. I think he saw, I think he noticed, and he knew that man's name is Zacchaeus. So often we attribute things to Jesus so that we don't have to do the hard work. We just say he got a pass, he was supernatural just floating through the earth. But he emptied himself, the scripture says. The word became flesh. The message today, really, if I could just sum it up, is let's make the word become flesh in our lives. So, so Jesus saw, Jesus noticed. He noticed everybody's lined up, dropping their coins in. Jesus noticed a little bent over widow woman dropping her only two coins in there. And he points it out to his followers. Jesus noticed sparrows. Jesus noticed seed. He noticed the way planters, farmers planted. Jesus noticed. Probably the best picture I've ever seen of, of this, though, was a friend of mine, a youth evangelist down in, well, he travels the country. And he was in Tumball, Texas, just outside of Houston. And it's one of those things where they come in during the day at the school and they have a concert and karate demonstrations and get the kids all excited. And that night they say, come out and we're going to show you more. You've got big muscle guys bending bars and tearing telephone books. And then at the end, someone shares about Jesus. And that night at Tumball High School's gymnasium, which seated over 2,000 students, these guys got to the end of their presentation and they were doing a drama. And in this drama, this young man yielded to temptation. And when he did, these, these guys dressed in black wrapped him in big logging chains so he couldn't escape, which represent that's what sin does to us. So he struggles, I can't get out, I can't get out. And while he's struggling, a beautiful girl comes along and says, I can get you out of those chains. And she gives him a big, big kiss. But wrong relationships don't free us, they only make the chains tighter. So some other guys come along and they're dressed in really nice suits and they've got briefcases with $20 bills falling out. They said, man, if you give yourself to this, You'll be free. You'll buy your way out. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And if you give yourself to just that's all that matters, the chains just get tighter. So some other guys came along with bottles and packets of stuff and needles. And they said, dude, you'll never get out. But you might as well have a good time while you're in there. And the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. Of course, the end is death. And so when the party is over, the chains are tighter. And so one other guy comes along and says, you're never getting out. You might as well end it all. And he hands him a handgun. So the young man puts the gun to his head. And he struggles, but no, there's got to be another way. And so he wrestles again, but it's futile. It's hopeless. And he gets the gun, 
puts it back to his head. And that's when my friend, the youth evangelist, jumps in and says, wait, there's a better way. And explains who Jesus is, what he did, and how you can know him. But it didn't happen that way this night. Because as my friend, the youth evangelist, began to come out, high in the stands was a 23-year-old sophomore named Gomez. Gomez had been a sophomore for a long time. Probably was going to be a sophomore for a little bit longer because Gomez had Down syndrome. And I don't know what you know about Down syndrome, but what, and I don't know much. It's a different chromosome. All I know is their, their perception is a little different than mine, but they can outlove every one of us in this room put together. And, and so what Gomez saw in his pure, innocent, simple mind was this guy is going to kill himself. And he was sitting at the top of the bleachers and everybody loved Gomez. You've got to understand because Gomez loved everybody. It didn't matter what class of student you were, whether you're in the administration, Gomez was, they, he was the favorite. But what he saw was real. And so when the gun went to the head the second time, Gomez leaps to his feet and says, wait, stop, everybody stop. And they did. And as best as he could, he, he ran down the steps. There was a railing separating the basketball court from the bleachers. He vaulted over it, landed in a heap, dusted himself up, ran, waddled out to center court where this man is standing with the gun, not knowing what to do. Gomez slides like a baseball player into second base. The gun went flying. The man in the chains lands on top of Gomez. And you can hear over the microphone, Gomez muffled cries. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You don't have to hurt yourself because Gomez is here. And I will love you and I will, you will be my brother. I can take you home and my mama and daddy, they love me and I know they will love you. It's going to be okay. And then he stops. And he points his finger at his friends. He says, what's the matter with you people? Don't you see this man is going to hurt himself? This man needs someone. He needs a friend. I thought you were all my friends. I thought you were good people. This man going to hurt him, so he's going to be okay. I love you. I'll be your friend. And that night, my friend didn't step out and share a message. Because nearly 2,000 students saw for the first time. And they stepped out. And they set a man free from his chains. 2,000 years ago, Jesus slid into this world and the chains fell upon him. He said, it's going to be okay. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he set many of us free. But I think he's pointing at us and saying, what's the matter? Don't you see this world needs your help? See, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to go where Jesus goes. We have to do what he does. If, does. if you're playing follow the leader, you go where the leader goes. You do what they do. You see what they see. You say what they say. Who was Jesus' friends? But many of us, we become Christians and we lose our lost friends. Jesus calls us not just to do acts of kindness and then retreat into our holy holes. He's called us to live a life where people are, where people matter. He's called us not to rejoice when the Osama bin Ladens and the Saddam Husseins are killed. 
He's called our hearts to break because probably they didn't know who Jesus was. How do we see? Little exercise helps me see as I'm walking down the road. You know what's on the side of the road? There's a lot of things. But I'm slowed down. The world's going by at 65 miles an hour. Or if they're running, or I mean, if riding bicycles, 25. Running, maybe 10 miles an hour. I'm walking four miles an hour. And I see, one of the things I see are coins. It's amazing how many coins are on the side of the road. Pennies. And many times those pennies are heads down, tails up. But you know what? I pick up every coin. And it doesn't matter if it's heads down, tails up. It doesn't matter if it's heads up. Because to me, that represents people. Every penny has a value. So does every person. And God has tested me on this. Because if if you've ever been in a men's restroom, sometimes they pitch pennies. How far will I go for that penny? It's okay, I wash my hands and I use sterilizer. <laughs> but how far will we go for people? Do we, you see, when we see him, we see the value of people. I pick up tools, a lot of tools on the side of the road. They've been broken, they've been forgotten, they've been left behind, and they've been lost. And so have people. They were created for a purpose, but they've been forgotten and broken and lost and left behind. And I pick up flower petals that have been used in weddings or funerals because they were created for beauty and for fragrance, but sometimes they've been stepped on. They've been dirtied. They've been sullied. So have people. When you look out, do you see flowers? When you, when you look out, do you see coins? And it's, what I found is it's amazing when you start looking how many coins are there. Or how many flowers are there or how many tools are there. There's a toolbox out there. I remember the first time I ever tried to tell people about Jesus. I had never done this before. I had studied evangelism explosion, but I never had gone out where lost people really were. I remember arriving at 8 o'clock in Tulsa at the bars. I'm going to be a witness for Jesus. I had my Bible, and I'm, I'm ready to go. But I didn't feel led. Have you ever heard that saying? Let, let me ask you, what does feeling led feel like? Does it tickle? Does it cause you to shake? Is it shazam? Boom shakalaka? I, I mean, what is it? So I didn't feel it. Let me just say, the Bible says we are to be led by the Spirit, and it doesn't say what it feels like. And if we obey this, we're being led by the Spirit. And Jesus said, preach the gospel to everybody. Does that mean you bop them on the head, scoop them up, like field mice? No, it just means we're, we're sensitive and we're kind. We, we, we live a life, but we communicate the message. So as I was out there, I... It, it was two in the morning, the bars closed in Tulsa. By three, I still hadn't told anybody about Jesus. I had never been awake that late in my life. 
I looked like a glazed donut. I looked higher than most of those guys coming out of those dives and clubs. And I still hadn't told somebody about Jesus. And I, I remember praying, Lord, if you want me to talk to somebody, bring them around the corner in the next five minutes or I'm going home in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I said men, someone came around the corner. And I didn't know how to do it. And I was so afraid, I just let them have it all barrels all at once. I had my big Bible, my study Bible, bigger than this, my Ryrie study Bible. I had my gospel tracts in this hand. And I forgot personal space, so I was right in his nose. Sir, if you die right now, you know if you're going to have Jesus down across, shed his blood, rose again his lie. Praise the Lord, you want to get saved? And, and I can't repeat what he said, but it wasn't very nice. Um, I think he told me to go someplace else. And, and, uh, and he spit on my shoes. And I knew I was a failure. God didn't call me to do this. And I got in my car, put the key in the ignition, turned the car on, and a black SUV blocked my way and Tinted window came down. It was the same guy. Are you that guy that's trying to tell me about Jesus? Yes, sir. <laughs> you really meant it, didn't you? Uh-huh. Can we talk? And we talked till the sun came up. And I'd like to tell you that he gave his life to Jesus and that his life was changed. But I don't know someone's heart. Only God does. But I can tell you whose life was changed. Because do you know what I saw? I saw that those people in those bars and those nightclubs or those mosques or those temples or under the bridges or on the street corners or in the big houses or in the banks or in the White House or in Hollywood, they're not monsters to be condemned and criticized and feared. They're kidnapped royalty. Men and women, boys and girls, created to be sons and daughters of the king of all kings. And when we see like Jesus, we, we see Jesus as he is. Do we know the Jesus we claim to be following? Then are we following the Jesus we claim to know? We, we begin to see like he sees, and when we see like he sees, we begin to love like he loves what, what does this, this love look like? Well, if, if you don't mind, I, I'm going to read you a, a poem this morning. And really this is, obviously you can read in 1 Corinthians 13 what, what it's, it's like. But I wrote this poem years ago on the side of the road as I'm walking. I've been praying, God, could you share your heart with me? And and I, I think it's representative, our, our hearts, when we come to Jesus, it's like a flat balloon. But the closer we are to him, the more time we spend, he, his heart begins to fill our heart with more and more love for others. Then it's ultimately the overflow of, but I, I need both hands, so I'll just shout real loud. Is that all right that I don't use the mic? This, this poem says, and, and I'll just inflate the balloon as I go along as God shares his heart with us says, God's heart is the world. You might not want that. My heart is the Lord's. It beats, and I hear the cry of pain of children who are sick and malnourished. It beats, and I hear the cry of loneliness from a lost, pregnant, teenage little girl. 
It beats and I hear the cry of desperation from those bound to drugs. It beats and I hear the cry of agony from those who are tortured for their faith. It beats and I hear the cry of hopelessness as a mother tries to feed her children but has no food or no money. It beats and I hear the cry of futility as millions of Muslims seek to know God but don't know the way. It beats and I hear the cry of confusion as millions worship gods they can never ever know. It beats and I hear the cry of fear as a mother offers her only child to appease the spirits of her tribal gods. beats and I hear the cry of the lost won't someone come tell me and the cry of Jesus won't someone pray won't someone go it beats and it's breaking and when it breaks what's inside goes every place and there's a fragrance that we don't have to pour out, but that pours out so naturally, whether we're in Target or Walmart or Kmart, or whether we're at Applebee's or Chili's or Sonic's drive-thru or Burger King, or if we're sitting on a plane and we see somebody sitting on a corner, or your relatives come in for the holidays, And when we begin to love like Jesus, we begin to live like Jesus. As I close, let me just read an excerpt from a story that started a movement years ago. It was called WWJD. It was a rewrite from a book by this writer's great-great-grandfather, C.M. Sheldon. And Garrett Sheldon wrote this book and modernized it started this movement, what would Jesus do? And the story is the pastor's preaching a series of sermons on Sunday, just like we're talking about compassion, but it was what would Jesus do? And he's preparing for his final sermon on a Friday afternoon. His wife is away at the mall shopping. But as he is putting the final touches on the final sermon, there's a knock on the door. And he opens the door and there's a very obviously pregnant woman, six or seven months along and very disheveled, tear-stained face. She's dirty, she's smelly. And there's a little two or three-year-old girl standing there and neither one of them can look the pastor in the eye. But the lady says, can you watch my little girl for a short while? And the pastor says, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know any babysitters. My wife and I, we don't have any children of our own. But we have a church daycare center, and it's just down the street, just a little way. You might want to try there. Please, she said as he tries to close the door, you don't understand. I don't have any money to pay for daycare. And they're the ones who sent me here. She saw his doubtful expression, so she hurried on. It's just for a short while until I get my first paycheck. I just got a job as a waitress downtown, but I can't take Hallie with me. and I just don't have anyone to watch her. 
The pastor hesitated. He was touched. But what could he do? I really am sorry, he said. I wish I could help, but I don't know anybody who could do something like that. I tell you what, why don't you leave me your telephone number just in case I think of something? She hesitated, but finally shook her head, and she and the little girl turned away and walked hand in hand down the sidewalk. Sunday morning came, and it was the most powerful sermon of the series. At the invitation, at the close of the message, the altar was flooded with people. Crying and weeping, the choir singing the old hymn, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. I will follow, follow him all the way. As pastor concluded the message and people are praying with counselors, he closes his Bible as he gets ready to conclude the service. He motions the worship team to proceed singing. But as he steps out, there's a shout from the back of the church. And the shocked congregation turns and they see a very obviously pregnant, disheveled young woman walking down the aisle hand in hand with a small little girl. With, with a jolt, the pastor recognized his visitors from Friday. Before he could react, they were standing at the front of the church. Her eyes were red and tear swollen. She turned to face the crowd, almost moving in a trance. I know you're not supposed to speak out in church, and I'm really sorry for interrupting. But I've, I've just reached the end of my rope. And I don't have anywhere else to turn. The pastor waved off the ushers, moving purposely toward her. And he listened in dumb astonishment as she shared her story. Six months ago, when I found out I was pregnant again, my husband disappeared. I guess he didn't want to be bothered. I had been taking computer programming classes at the local college but after Jim left, I had to drop out and go to work in a convenience store. My boss let me keep Hallie there with me, but then I got sick and they had to let me go. Two weeks ago, we got evicted from our apartment and Hallie and I have been living in my car ever since then. The thing is, she said, almost as if talking to herself, I've been desperate these last few days. I didn't want charity. I just needed someone to watch my little girl until I got my first paycheck. I called my parents, but they said God was punishing me for marrying someone like Jim. And that's okay, but does he have to punish my little girl too? Then I tried all the daycares, hoping I could work something out, but they just shook their heads. I guess I can't blame them. They probably heard the same story over and over before. She shut her eyes for a long moment, then slowly opened them. I really, really am sorry. I shouldn't be bothering you good people with my problems. But all this just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, what does it mean when you sing about surrendering all and following Jesus? I, I mean, I, I went to six different churches this last week looking for help. And your pastor here was the only pastor who would even talk to me. He offered to take my phone number, and that would have been great if I just would have had a phone. I thought... I mean, I always thought the church people were supposed to act like Jesus. You know, doing unto others and all that stuff. Isn't that right? Now I've lost my job. 
She broke off in a sob as she's looking at her little girl. When she lifted her head again, her eyes were filled with despair. I, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do now. Where else can I go? Where else can I go? I just wish. I mean, I, I really thought somebody was going to watch Hallie for a day or at least give her a hot meal so I could go to work. Isn't that what Jesus would do? What would Jesus do? And she breaks off in a scream. She goes into premature labor. And she starts hemorrhaging. And she dies on the steps of the church. My friends, that's just a story. But sometimes, because we don't know him and his ways, we miss his beauty. And so we don't see people like he sees them. And when we don't see people like he sees them, we don't love like he loved. And we end up not living like he lives. The word became flesh. May it be true this Christmas. Jesus didn't come in a manger. He's coming today in cul-de-sacs and apartments and shopping malls as the word is becoming flesh. May we all show that God is with us. And let me just say this. There are some of you here that feel like that woman. You feel despair. I just want to say, God wants to be with you. In those big arms he stretched out on that cross, he wants to wrap around you. There was a time in my life, and it wasn't very long ago, that I faced some really bad things in my life. More bad things than you can imagine. Christmas was always the hardest. Some of you are braver, way braver than I was because I would come in late as the worship was in the middle of worship and I would leave early so I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. But if that's you this Christmas, may I say that the God of all compassion wants to put his arms around you and he wants to touch you. He really, really loves you. That's why he came into this world. May we look with eyes around us. May we not assume or presume that everybody's okay because there's a smile. May we listen to the heartbeat of Jesus. And may we wipe away the tears from his face. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God wants to be with them. But it starts with the word becoming flesh. May we pray together. Let's all stand. I'm sorry I talked a little longer. I um, might only be the only time I ever get, though. You never know. Thanks for welcoming one of the least of these, a stranger. Um, you did it because you trust your pastor and your leadership team here. You did it because you love Jesus. And I pray that I honored his trust and your trust. And I'm not presumptuous. 
I've never fancied myself a great preacher. I think that's why God has me out on the roads. So people don't have to listen to me sing or preach. But I remember the story of a little boy with loaves and fishes, and it wasn't much either. But in the hands of the master, he multiplied it. And everybody took home bushel baskets. And I promise it was just loaves and fishes that I have. But I know if you allow the master to take what you heard today, he wants to multiply it in your life. There's a lot of hungry people around you that you can take fish and loaves to as well. Let's pray. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I adore you. I just, I cherish you. I treasure you. You're so precious. Thanks for this privilege and thanks for this honor. Thanks for allowing me to be reconnected with old friends and make new friends. Thanks for what you're doing right here in this house, in this place where believers were first called Christians in Antioch. Because they recognize the people as as little used, as people that were characterized by your love and your compassion and your, your joy and your beauty. Thank you that this is a house that's like that. I pray for your blessing on this place and on the families that are here and connected here. The people who are visiting here and their families. Lord, this time of year, we celebrate you. But may we look for you in the strangest of places, in barns and mangers, stables, under bridges and street corners, checkout lines, crazy traffic. Would you give us a heart that wants to know your way so we might know you? Would you help us to see you in your beauty? Would you help us to then see people like you see them? And a heart that loves people and breaks and overflows and your love touches people and would you give us the privilege of being a reflection of you in our world? In Jesus' name.